You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome to episode nine at home with Walkie MC. Glad to have each and every one of you here. Uh, this week we're a little, we're, we're down a member, Angie, we're down a member. Uh, we've got Angie Brenneman, our family ministry pastor and, uh, myself, Joel here hanging out with you. Uh, pastor Chris is off in California, uh, slogging around in the mud and the muck, uh, building houses, building houses for one of our, uh, mission trips. And, uh, so we, I, I did get a message from him earlier, so he's still alive. He's hanging in there, but I uh, wish that whole team well as they're working out and serving people. Uh, but we do have our guest, uh, Jim Bontrager, with us today. Jim, welcome to the show. Glad to Thank have you. you. Glad to have you here. Uh, as has been the case, our kind of our format, Jim shared with us this past uh, Sunday and uh, just a lot of really great discussion. Uh, but as always, we like to pretend that no one knows anything about you now, and so you get to reintroduce yourself. Jim, tell us, sir, what is it you do, and uh, and even some even some details about your family. Just kind of give us the the bio, if you would. Sure, um, I'm married to my wife Susie, 36 years in Roland. We got nine children. We love them deeply. Uh, somebody once said that they mirror your blind spots. So I'll tell you something about myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm a full time missionary to law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, law enforcement is strategic for uh, the survival of this republic. They either do one of two things: either they're the ones that preserve your rights, or in other countries, they are the ones that persecute the church. So uh, that has a number of facets on it. I speak around the country. I have the uh, privilege of serving as the vice president. I'm sorry, the president-elect now, number two guy in the International Conference of Police Chaplains, 2,300 chaplains, 10 nations. Um, So I just got a heart for uh, law enforcement. They're an unreached people group, helping to understand who who Christ is, the difference it makes, and how you bring uh, the truth of who he is and what he came to do in your life and your culture. So Yeah, and— there's been obviously a lot of discussion around uh, different kinds of discussion around law enforcement here in the last, and it's really from every which side and every which angle talking about um, the role of law enforcement, how we think about law enforcement, all of that. But I think something that I've been reminded of is that there, just beyond just the general title of law enforcement, there are, are real lives and real individuals that are are behind the story and that are. Um, I think you shared with us on Sunday a, a group of people that are feeling pretty dis- pretty discouraged, uh, encountering some significant challenges just in terms of their ability to uh, how how to do their job every day uh, to go out and do the thing that they've been called to and they've been commissioned to. Um, so one of the questions, because this is just my own like just kind of my own curiosity, and this is kind of a pastoral question when. When we think about the need of our law enforcement community at a, at a at a spiritual level, at a soul level, at a at their well being and the well being for their families, like what what are you seeing? What what is your what is your concern for them at at that kind of ground level? Well, I think two things. Number one, that you know, if you look at our Declaration of Independence, says that we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal; they're endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life liberty and a pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So, you know, in the American system, God's the giver of rights, uh, civil governments, the 
protect it from something. And the enforcement mechanism of civil government is law enforcement, yet they don't know what they're up against. Mm-hmm. So you look at that, number one. And number two, the, they're vaccinated against Christianity in a lot of ways. Uh, they've heard the name of Jesus Christ dropped in the back of their car by people who have done criminal activity. And because of that, they don't even look to the very source of who they serve and represent. So, you know, that's the big thing to try to turn around and help the culture understand that, you know what, the Lord's legitimate. He came here to bring life and life to the full, that you're a reflection of who he is and what he came to do on the earth and you represent him in Romans 13. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, um, you know, sometimes when you see so much hurt, you almost become numb to that hurt and to, to hear that, just like you said, they hear the word Jesus Christ, but in a very, um, uh, inflammatory way. And so it hurts them to even understand, well, how can this um, God really care about me? How can this all happen in, in the world and not understanding the full context that we do live in a fallen world and um, all of that. But how do you, how do you best minister to that, um, to that end with what you do? Well, I think it's the same thing we're here to talk about, you know, how do I be salt and light in a culture? You know, how do I, the best way is by example, in the police world, words mean nothing. You know, if you're a police officer, you go to a call and every, for the most part, everyone there will lie to you until you, and your job's a fair doubt the truth. So you look at actions more than words. And so, you know, as Francis of Assisi once said, paraphrase, you know, uh, preach the gospel at all times and necessarily open your mouth, you know? And so, you know, I think the first thing gets to be as being an example. The second thing gets to be is to try to find, like you do in any culture, cultural uh, points of connection that you can impart truth and lead them on a journey to discover it in a richer and fuller way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that it just knowing what you do and knowing where you knowing that you have a heart for that and the way you said it to be a missionary to those people. I I think just in general church culture, I I don't know if we have a radar up for that. I don't know if we have language for that that there that there is a missionary need amongst that group of individuals that is that is significant and right. yeah and well and if you think about just think about jail ministries how, how many churches have jail ministries how many times do they walk by the very corrections officers that are taking the abuse going through the hardship and trials and tribulations and just walk by into the cell or somewhere else you know it's a it's a, a it's an unreached you know it's 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 a group that we don't focus on yeah that's that's uh, that's helpful so Angie, um, transition us into the other, and these are kind of uh, the follow-up questions, the conversation that come out of our previous discussion uh, this past Sunday. Let's uh, let's tee it up for Jim and see where we go. That's right. Well, I think you um, brought it out right at the beginning, and you had everyone ask um, each other around the table, how can you define freedom? And you had to define it without using the word freedom. And then we brought it back to the large group and you went to the youth table. Do you remember this? And then the freedom um, was defined by the youth table as freedom is being allowed to do what God tells us to do without anyone telling us we can't. So let's, um, this question came out of that. I would like to take a deeper dive into the, this whole question. It says, if we lose freedom, are we no longer free? Does losing our American freedom remove our freedom in Christ? This was sent through our text message thread, which has been a really nice way to get questions from people. So this was brought up by that discussion yesterday. So take us down this road. Well, I think you look at John 4, 24, you know, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and the truth. You know, there's a dichotomy. We're eternal beings stuck in a space-time continuum in a bag of bones here. So the reality gets to be as, you know, there's two aspects. You know, obviously liberty is truly an internal thing that works this way externally. 
So, you know, as believers, there's no way you can lose your salvation if you're sincerely a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and I believe with all my heart that, you know, that's the beautiful thing about it. I think of, uh, you know, even like I, um, looking back at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the uh, back in the, oh, I can see his face, the, the a Jewish uh, psychologist uh, back in the Auschwitz, uh, Victor Frankel. You know, just looking back at Victor Frankel, and just so one of the things that was interesting about reading his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is the very fact that, you know, he realized that the Nazis could uh, make him do every aspect of his life, but one area they didn't control is his response. Mm. He could respond in any way he wanted to. And, you know, I think that's freedom. You know, truly, the reality gets to be is in the darkest, most subject, terrible situation, there's a guy who still had the ability to choose love, to choose blessing, to choose to do the right thing to others. And that's really at the heart of freedom. Freedom isn't the ability to do what you want. It's the ability to do what's right because you love others and you respect them and your passion is to see them successful. Mm -hmm. um, let's dive into this on the theological side and what Jesus says in um, John eight thirty one, And I think you brought that up a little bit in the beginning too, that Jesus said to his people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How does this whole word from the Lord, from Jesus, intertwine both freedom and truth? Well, I think at the end of the day, what is truth? If if truth has no effect in the real world, then why would we be commanded to meet our brother's needs, to protect him, to, you know, give him thirsty, give him something hungry? I mean, the reality gets to be is, is you know, there's a difference from my understanding between Greeks, con the Greek concept of truth, which is more so an intellectual apprehension, and the Hebrew a concept of, free, of freedom, which, or of truth, was the fact that when it internalized my life to the point of action, then I really do have possession of the truth. So I think, you know, they go together. Yeah, I often think about, and Hebraic mind is so good at that, when it's like, when it ever talks about, like, uh, even the concept of hearing, hearing truth. So if truth has been spoken, but you have not responded in an activity, then you haven't even heard. So that's, I mean, that's even, that's the concept that it is, it is a fully, uh, and, and we've been, and honestly, we've been talking this whole series about the fact that like behavior matters, like response to truth matters. It, it isn't, um, just an intellectual exercise for us to say, um, you know, that I have mentally assented to facts either about God or about, about the world, but rather instead to say, I've heard something, I've taken it in, I have put things into practice in my life, and then, and then also, by putting them into practice, I come to even a greater realization or understanding of, of what it is. And Jim's, Jim's taken out the Bible already, so I can see he's, he's teeing up here. Well, I, I, can, I can see the wheels turning. Well, you know, that hits home, you know, because in the, the day it says, husbands in the same way be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as weaker partner as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if that truth hasn't affected my actions, then God says you're cut off, man. I mean, you know, I expect to be some kind of behavioral, you know, reflection here. You know, I mean, it's the same thing when I leave my wife today. Okay, we, we butt heads a little bit on the way out the door and she says whatever. And I got to call her back up and make it right because I can't afford to let that get executed. You know, <laughs> God, you got help. Yeah, I, apparently I need to make more phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it goes to the whole idea um, that we, oftentimes in our, I, I want to kind of define the difference between imputed righteousness and practical righteousness. And I think this is an important point that we don't often sit on very long when we talk about living out truth in our lives right, right. and imputed comes to us when we believe in Jesus mm. Christ. That's, that's his um, gift to us and what he was able to do on the cross. 
but practical righteousness and living that out in behaviors? And how does that look like in our culture today? Right. Well, and I think, you know, it's justification and, and sanctification. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I always love the illustration that, you know, if I was born a prince, I'm as princey as I'm going to get, but I probably make a big mess of my diapers. I have to learn how to bounce my head off the coffee table a couple of times, maybe pick up a sword and swing it, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the goal and the journey is, is why am I doing this? What's my motivation? Number one is because Christ has been gracious to me, you know, and, and because it's the goodness of God that led me to repentance, it's the goodness of God that caused me to uh, take a, a heart full of a self-centered love and turn around and be transformed to other orientation. It's the goodness of God that, and the right motivation is I don't do any of this because I have to. I do it because I love my brothers and sisters, and I need to be the best version of me that I can be so that I can play it out in real-life application to make the world a better place because that's what Jesus came to do, show us sacrificial love through action. Right, right. Well, okay, one of the things that we've talked about this whole time in the home series is kind of this um, tie to truth and living it out, and yet um, I think sometimes we don't always know what truth is. And we've said this on the podcast. We said we have to know where truth comes from. It comes from God's word. It is absolute. And I think oftentimes our culture wants to delude that. So I would like to to make sure and even have everyone understand that absolute truth is really what God's opinion is yeah. on any matter. <laughs> and, that it, and that it exists. I mean, that that's, that is an actual real thing in time and space. Uh, you know, I often... You know, we, we've heard so often times it's like, well, your your truth is your truth and my yes. truth is my truth and speak your truth and, and all of that. And it's like, okay, if all of that is relative to the individual and if it is all subjective, then quite honestly, like we've been talking law enforcement here, an officer of the law could not could not do their job if if it's like, you know, if it's the if it's the person that's either whether they're speeding or beating their wife or whatever the case, it's like they're just living their truth, right? Well, but I think the beautiful thing about it is it's real simple if you think about it. The nature of truth is exclusionary. Yep. You know, if, if, if we had a world, we got the room in here and three of us think that what I believe and what you believe and what you believe is just whatever your truth is. Well, you know, if there's no lies, then there's no truth. You know, at the end of the day, truth is exclusionary. You know, there is no such a thing as truth. It's conformity to an original absolute idea, you know. So this whole mentality, it's, it was, once again, it's a plan of words that the devil's done to, st- to try to steal and mar the image of Christ, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always, uh, you know, a little a little Christian philosophy goes a long way when, you know, I, I often think of the early of the early thinkers where it was and basically the idea was, listen, if by you even making a statement that there is no absolute truth, right, You've made an absolute, you cannot make, that's a truth statement. Well, sure right? it is, because I have to go everywhere there is to know there's no truth. I have to know everything there is yeah. to know there's no truth. Yep. And at the end of the day, I end up, you know, there's either a God or I'm God. That's all there is yep. to it. There's no honest atheist who can turn around and say, I dogmatically assert, you know, it's like absolutes. There's no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? sure right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, are you, are you, <laughs> there's no absolutes. Are you sure about that? Because you sound sure. You sound real sure about it. Yeah, and... And I think that's where, and so much of the conversation I think that you've had, Jim, with us is really, it is, I think, a call to actually enter into a thought life where you are taking thoughts captive. You are are not just passively, like so much is given to us every day and we're, we're passive to it, right? We just sort of, we hear it, we 
kind of let it float by us or whatever, and we don't ever stop and say, no, what? No, wait, wait a second. Is this is this on the ground reality? Is this really what is what is going on? Instead, we're we just kind of like take it all in, and then before we know it, I think we've anesthetized ourselves to any sort of critical thinking about about what is going on in in our world and and that is not the call of the christian is not to check our our brain at the door it's not to check our mind at the door and just be like this kind of empty believism does that does that make sense no, no it totally does i mean i i think it's interesting to me you can look at uh, philippians chapter 4 and it talks about in verse 8 finally brothers whatever is true yeah. whatever is noble whatever is pure whatever is right whatever you know trustworthy or, or excellent or praiseworthy think about such things you know the reality gets to be is as a man thinketh so he is yeah. and so the sometimes our so he is part gets mixed up because we don't have our mindset on concrete truth stuff that's going to play itself out in relationships and loving others and doing all that stuff and so if we don't do that you know uh, and the enemy knows that. So that's why we're out here trying to put a smoke screen because you know what? It's the same thing with attention spans. We're in the day and age where, you know, you can look once upon a time where we used to eat this word up. Well, now we're, if we're all honest. Some of us have a hard time keeping a, you know, a, a four minute, or five minute attention span to be in the word of God. <laughs> I was reminded the other day that in the time of like early revivalist, whatever, where you, they were doing three or four hour long sermons and people were staying for the whole thing. Like now, first of all, I would not want to stay for one of my own sermons that went that long. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but to that, to that point though, the, the ability, and these were a lot of times, even non-literate cultures. And yet they were still, there, there was an, a, an ability to apprehend and to be present and to to process and even dare I say a hunger for that sort of that for that sort of thing and you know I I don't think I, I want to be I know hopefully I'm not naive in this I believe that some of that can be revived I believe that we can we can call people to a greater a greater thought and a greater reflection I, it seems to me much of your life is dedicated to that. That well, very thing. Well, man, it's impossible, but God, all things are impossible. You know? <laughs> yes. I, I just, you know, that's my, that's it, man. It's like, Lord, you said it, let's do it. You know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's the reality. And once again, that goes into the time of still in our hearts and being quiet. You know, if you can do nothing else, but just stop doing this stuff, Yeah, stop doing this stuff and give God some wiggle room to speak to your life, you know, to sit there. I actually, I'm getting older now and my middle of the nighttime is my cherished time. I actually will wake up and pray. I'll wake up and spend time. I ask him to tell me then teach me you know and and i just love that you know if you look at isaiah 50 uh, verse 4 there it says the lord's given me an instructed tongue but it goes on to talk to me he speaks to me in the night and, and gives me you know and and for me sometimes it's when a light bulb comes on it's when i suddenly get a concept or something I'm like, lord that's beautiful and it seems like you come to consciousness and you lose it you know and yeah and so i think you know that's our challenge nowadays is sit there and get time and stop and just to say god producing me something I can't produce myself. I think um, I've read on this and this devil's schemes. If he can't get you, he'll get you busy. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think really we often don't take that time. God says, be still, know that I'm God. That's the contemplative prayer that we have to sit in and actually say, okay, Lord, I'm going in. I have a, an issue in my marriage. Lord, show up here and just listen and set and hear, you know, and yeah. it's just a, it's a whole avenue. And I, and I want to back up just a second where you said that um, the mind game that Satan plays with us on truth. And, and w- this has been an, 
a really big topic of discussion because our whole Bible study that I've been working with at the ladies here at the church centers on this whole idea of replacing the lies that we hear from culture. We hear from ourselves because we are one of our biggest um, speakers mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to ourselves, but also from Satan that he understands the, the mind is his battleground and we have to take it by replacing these lies with truth and truth that comes from God truth that comes from his word. And that comes with a discipline of memorizing and understanding. And so I just think if we're going to, if we're going to live in this culture where truth is um, like you said, actually um, taking us and living apart counterculturally, we have to live with truth as our guide. We have to understand it. We have to put it into our uh, minds and solidify it in our souls. Well, and you look at, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to take a little delve here, but if you jump over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and, and it's just interesting, just the word plays there, you know. He talks about a couple of things, you know. First of all, that that day Christ's return won't happen until the rebellion occurs in a man of lawlessness, which is interesting phraseology for me in the last two years. But it goes down there and it starts talking about it. It says, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved, God give them over to a powerful yeah. delusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That there comes a point for us as believers at the end of time where if we're not anchored in truth, then there's a good, the very elect shall be deceived if it were possible. I mean, how am I going to judge, make judgment calls on deception? How am I going to make judgment calls if I'm going off the rails? Unless I have an anchor point that could take me back. We have this hope in the, everything that God's given us is an anchor for our soul, we're told in the, uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And we've, <laughs> and we've just heard from so many people, I, and I, I hear it again, and I, I have uttered it myself. It's like, right now, there we there's an an anchor that that we want to want to hold fast to 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 what is true but man oh man it just like i don't know what to believe about some things anymore and then when i start feeling that when i start really feeling that way i'm like i'm like okay i know i'm feeling this way as a follower of jesus i cannot imagine what a non with a non-follower of Jesus, um, even if they are having that realization of like, what do I hold on to? What do I look to? Where do where do I look for what is what is the bedrock of in, in the the foundation of of the world and and what is you know what is well what is beautiful and lovely and 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 ultimately um, good you know and then because I just I have to imagine. The amount, so much of the anxious, anxious world in which we live right now. I mean, a lot of the anxiousness is coming from the fact of like, well, our compass is off kilter here. I don't know how to get it right. Where do I look? Um, and then hopelessness, depression, anger, violence—all right. of these things—it just seems that they follow pretty quickly thereafter. Um, if we're yeah, if we're if we're off course, and and that's what I I just I'm thinking about in many of the conversations that we've had as a team, where it's just like, how do you sort out all the garbage? How do, how do you dig down and find what the truth is? What the truth is, right? Well, and and it's important. I mean, it's fascinating. If you know, it's it's one of the beautiful things about being 62 years old is I'm looking back here and I'm thinking. Where have I been? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you start to see how things tie together. You start to see long-term consequences for behaviors and thoughts. And it's interesting me in Romans chapter uh, one, it starts talking about verse 24, you know, and, and uh, starts talking about, uh, well, I'm sorry, 25. It says they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things. And it goes on to talk about 
that become the the very foundation of you know sexual deviancy. That became the very foundation of envy, stirred strife, all that stuff. You know, and 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 so you know, I just think it's so important for us to really. You know, we have to be anchored in it because there's times where, you know, like I, that George Orwell quote I mentioned is, you know, there comes a point in a time of deceit where telling the truth is a revolutionary act, you know, you know, yeah. you know because, yeah. because at the end of the day, it's, it's like, you can think you're going insane. And I think that's why we got to encourage each other. And all the more as you see a day approaching, I think one of the things we have to do, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the lies when, when you got brothers and sisters and say, this is the way walk in it. You know, you're not going crazy. I feel the same way. You know, suddenly you're realizing, no, 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 that we're on the right track we got to stay in the fight you know yeah yeah and that's uh in is i think it's just a good a good life a good life posture is just to say in as much as it depends upon you tell the truth right right or at least <laughs> don't lie well but, but i think there's something even one step farther see when i was young i was a young zealous I was a young, zealous evangelist. I used to go out and talk to street people. and I mean, I was in some crazy places, which was dumber than rocks, probably. But, <laughs> but you know, at the end, I used to think I have to tell people the truth, okay? And see, as I got older, I realized I need to tell the tree, people the truth in love. Mm. That if I didn't do it in love, you know, I can go up to somebody and say, gee, you're whatever, you know, uglier in the backside of a whatever. That, that probably doesn't help the cause, even though, you know. But at the end of the day, it gets to be, what's my motivation? But as I even get older, I realize there's timing. You know, I tell the truth in love at the right time because there's times where God will put something in my heart and it's not time to deposit it right now. Yeah. It's time to sit on it, pray about it, and all of a sudden, bam, there he says, it's time. And, you know, a, a truth spoken in season at the right time with the right heart attitude, you know, will set you free. It's something that the incarnate truth itself lives inside us, wants to pour out through us to a lost and broken world. Right. And so um, we kind of laid this idea of truth. So here's a question that came in um, yesterday that I want to build on now that we've kind of expanded this whole idea of absolute truth that exists. We must live it and we must live it Do out. It. Do <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So here's the next question. How can a culture who has lost its moral compass, its grounding in truth, be governed? This is a pretty big question. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The beautiful thing about it, we talk about our founding fathers. I I reverence founding fathers and just give you a couple quotes that, uh, you know, has meant something to me. John Adams, second president, he said a couple things. He said, first of all, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution is designed for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You know, you can look at, uh, he said also that public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private virtue, and, and public virtue is the only foundation of republics. You know, I can even look at Thomas Jefferson, you know, and what he said about Jesus. It's fascinating that even our least overtly religious founding father said this, you know, he went on to say that the precepts of philosophy and of the Hebrew code laid hold of actions only, but he, Jesus, pushed his scrutinies into the heart of man. He erected his tribunal in the region of his thoughts and purified the waters of the fountainhead. That he was even acknowledging the fact that the unique thing about Christianity was how it takes the thoughts captive, purifies the waters before they become actions. Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery in your heart. Well, guess what? If I take that thought captive, then I don't physically do it. You know, if I turn around and look and say, I'm angry with my brother, I committed murder. Well, guess what? If I take that thought captive, I don't do it. And so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the reality, the sad reality is, is there comes a point where we can't do that. But at the end of the day, I look at this and I say, what's the nature of love? The nature of love is if I know that, why would I not share that with the world that needs that to survive? Why would I sit back and let them just 
blow up the very object because my kids are going to grow up in some kind of culture, my, you know, or my grandkids are. And so I think that's points well taken, but I think it's up to us to turn around and, and give us a greater impetus to change hearts and lives because, you know, that's our mission. <laughs> I know. It's, it's kind of the broad mission, the broad question here actually comes down to the personal commitment yep. to Jesus. Right. Because uh, Jesus brings us the moral compass. The truth brings us the moral compass. And we have to live with that in mind because it keeps us, um, I guess, in control. And the whole idea of not only just self-governing, but it keeps us doing the right things and moving forward. Well, George Washington said it this way. He said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. That He actually believed that us as believers were the foundational thing holding up a republic, you know, and that's why it's so important. What I was trying to say is, listen, each one of us has a sphere of influence to let the truth live through our lives, number one. You know, one of the primary truths I think is important is is the fact that First John 1, 8 says, if we claim to be while sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. I mean, the first foundational thing is, is I'm a needy person. And the reality gets to be is then I can tap into a merciful God and being a, a receiving mercy and, and, and sensing his unconditional love that can help me to unconditionally love others and help to impart truth to them in a gentle way that's respectful, realizing, brother, I'm, I'm there with you, you know? And in doing that, you know, that's what gives us uh, the ability to be salt and light and to love on others is that compassionate approach to coming in and I love you and I want to help you to see a better way that doesn't kill you like your current course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jim, I'm just, I, I do wonder, um, in your, in your line of work, when, um, when have you seen, I guess, cause I, I'm guessing, I mean, you speak all over the place and I, and I don't know how the, the exact logistics are of like the way you're interacting with, with all the you know different folks in law enforcement and all the people that you're, you're doing it. What have been, would you say, like the most effective and maybe most meaningful platforms and opportunities where you where you have gotten to share these these things, these these truths in a way that you you see fruit from it, like where where, where you see like, man, it's, it's connecting with people. Well, I have a seven hour course I do. It's called Sun Tzu and the Officer Resiliency Mindset. The only reason I use Sun Tzu and the Art of War is because. He wasn't a believer, and the Lord put on my heart that he was going to show you how the devil works. So that worked out real good. I knew it, you know, and, and so well, and we, people know that people know that book. I mean, that's really yeah. kind of come up in the culture too, right? So. But, but you know, if you think about uh, Matthew thirteen, what was the difference maker in the parable of the sword? Do you guys remember what was the difference be- maker between the the seed that fell on the ground and, and the birds ate it up and the, had the thirty sixty hundred fold return? Do you remember what it was? Where what? What was the difference? What went in the parable of the sower? There was something that made a difference that was the difference between the seed that fell on the ground and the birds ate it up and the seed that had 30, 60, or 100-fold return. What was, what was it that made the difference? There was the same element was in both those things. Do you remember? Where it was planted. Well, it was understanding. He and, said oh. those who receive the word and don't understand no, it. Right. Yeah. Yep. The devil comes and snatches what away. Those who receive the word and, and, and understand it, it says in the last version, Receive, you know, become fruitful in 30, 60, 100 fold returns. So to answer your question, what I do is I try to help police to develop worldview. 
Mm, and build their understanding. Well, it does, because at the end of the day, if, 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 if Christianity says that love does no harm to its neighbor, and if that's really the impetus, if my thought of you and my love for you causes me to be responsible and do the right thing, and that I try to live my life to not offend you or hurt you, well, that makes me other-oriented. And if, if, if the nature of sin is self-centeredness, what James talks about in chapter 4, verse 1, you know, what causes the fights and quarrels among you that come from your own evil desires and all this stuff? You want some, you kill and covet and do all this stuff. Well, if that's what I'm experiencing as a police officer on the street on a regular basis, as mad, sad, and bad people who won't take ownership of their lives, who steal, plunder, murder, kill, do all that stuff, don't you think the good guys should be different than the bad guys? Well, there's only one that way happens is a heart transformation where we do it. So to answer your question, I have a, a, a system where I sit down and try to help officers in a quote-unquote secular way get a worldview to understand that this country was founded on another orientation. That other orientation has historical reference in Christianity. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can at least appreciate the fact you have to be other-oriented. Now, the question gets to me is if you take a hard look at yourself and judge yourself, you want to come under judgment, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, you know? And so... To, to answer your question, to do that in seven hours, and we've had a lot of wonderful things happen where officers are saying, okay, that makes sense, and they embrace it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Getting, yeah. getting them thinking. So I want to take um, this down to kind of um, the last thing you shared on Sunday, and I want to kind of talk a little bit about this idea of home as an embassy. And do you remember you talked oh, about sure, this sure, yesterday? Sure, sure, sure. And I and I do. I think this is a very important um, concept that we have to live out in our homes and and see the value of our homes. And actually, what where Jesus put this whole idea of home into place, he created the family. Right. So talk a little bit about this idea. Well, I think two things. I mean, if you look at, uh, I think it's fascinating to me that you know you look at uh, Genesis chapter uh, eighteen nineteen. I think it is. And, and Abraham there, and what did God say about Abraham? He said he chose him, and, and um, uh, he chose him, he says, um, that he'll direct his children, his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about on Abraham everything he has promised him. You know, the beautiful thing about it for me is home life is a couplefold. Number one, my initial perception of God it's where I get truth. It's where all the family phraseology, if you think about it, you know, that's one thing in understanding God. The second thing gets to be is there's beautiful things that happen with family ministry. I'll give you a classic example of my life. We started in 1995 as a family, not as a nonprofit, not as anything. We started reaching out to police officers doing this appreciation day thing. Okay. And which our we, which we participated right, in just but, until, that we yeah. that started out as a family ministry that we as the Bond Trigger family are gonna love on cops. We're gonna do that. Well guess what? The last one we had at our house before we had to go to a bigger facility had twelve hundred people there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's a party. Okay. Twelve hundred people was at the were at the Bond Trigger's house because the Bond Trigger family tried to reach out the best they knew how to a demographic. So my point simply is this. Sometimes we look for nonprofits, this and that, when the Bible says that every mm-hmm. one of us to do the work of ministry. Amen. You know, yeah. and when you come together as a family and realize God planted you strategically in some world, and your love for each other and your willingness to share of your lives and your willingness to use hospitality as a tool to mm-hmm. try to reach a broken world, have an exponential impact on the world. Amen. And I, that's that's why I wanted you to explain it. Yeah, I uh, I think of oh, it's it's great and the embassy talk. Uh, mm-hmm. What Peterson says, what the uh, he refers to the church as the uh, the embassy of light in the country of darkness, and uh, I I'm like I think embassy language is really is a good one. That's a good that's like a really good image for how how we think about as opposed to 
like like an embassy is a is a place of safety. It's like a place of mm-hmm. safety, but safety. it's it's a representative place of safety uh, in a in a country that is otherwise. You know, I was watching um, what movie did I watch there? And I oh, The Courier. This is like the uh, this is a movie about uh, it's sort of I'll this will tie in. Just trust me. Uh, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite. Uh, British uh, actors, uh, Benedict Cumber, Cumberbatch or Cumberbatch or however you want to say it, <laughs> super fancy last name, right? I don't know who you're talking about, but I really trust you, brother. <laughs> you would you would recognize you'd recognize his recognize his face, but anyway, it, it's the whole the movie is basically about the the spy game that was going on leading up to the Cuban Missile Crisis, okay. and the fact that they found what what they did is they found just an ordinary English businessman who would go over into Moscow. And 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 meet with this uh, an internal Russian guy that had tur- that had turned basically that was releasing secrets basically to the U to the U S and, and all of this, and and eventually the the plot like it's one of those things where there's like there's not like a violent film but you're on the edge the whole time right because it's just like it's all espionage and it's all this really <laughs> great and at the end the plan goes the plan goes awry he ends, actually ends up in a in a in a gulag, you know, in Russia for two years and nearly dies and just, but like is so committed to the cause of like, you know, making sure that nukes don't hit, you know, don't hit the United States or the UK. But when it all goes wrong, a few of the people that are involved, they just get dropped off at the embassy in Moscow. Like the, and it's the weirdest thing. Like these people are, are, are at war with each other in a cold war situation, but the embassy is like the safe place uh, where I guess it's like where it's like kind of all things are forgiven, right? And you can get dropped off in the even in the midst of when people are ready to shoot missiles. At right, right, so. right. But, you know, you just think I think of the verbiage, the way Paul used that in Second Corinthians chapter five. He just talks about and he says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's men's sins against them. And he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are God's ambassadors. You know, the beautiful thing gets to be is, you know, what what did we get invited to do? You know, we got invited to become part of a family, an eternal family, okay? And if you just look at the whole you know, not to open up a can of, that's not even a can of worms, a can of blessing. But if you look at how the Old Testament closes with turn the hearts of fathers, children, you look in uh, Luke chapter one, verse 17, where he said, John the Baptist would do the same thing. And if you look at his explanation of love, you know, older women as mothers and uh, young older men as fathers. And, and Paul said in second Thessalonians chapter two, that as a mother, I did this. And as a father, I did this. The word pictures there are really rooted in home life. And if you have a Christian home life, uh, we have a profit, or we had a, a thing work with nonprofit working with the inner city kids. One of the things we did is try to get believers to model a whole family because there was no understanding of the social Amen. structure, sure. and it can have a tremendous impact on life. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and I think um, one to tie all this together is that even from the beginning, how truth was transferred right was yeah. through the family. Sure. And as we've um, quoted many a times, Deuteronomy six is that you're to you know, talk about it at the dinner table. Talk about when you go to sleep. This isn't like just at the workplace or at church on Sunday morning. This is in everyday life and everyday life happens in the family. And that's how our kids learn. That's right. how our kids grow up in truth and know how to even define it and live it out. No, no, you're exactly right. Truth applied to life. Yeah. You know, a son, this is what, look, I, I used to, we would go to the hill climb to the He'll climb. And I told my kids, I said, this is why you don't drink alcohol. So I took them out there and we watched all the drunks yeah. flip, flip their motorcycles sure. and do all that stuff. You know, and the thing got to be is to say, here's why we don't do that. Cause it doesn't Case work out well. Case and point. <laughs> right here. Uh, 
you know, and Jim, I'm going to put you on this. I'm going to put you on the spot. What, as far as as a family practice for your family? Because when you said nine kids, my, I mean, I have four <laughs> children, and my my pulse just raised like significantly. Um, well, I have I have three children and a dog, and then I just gained another child next door. Which that's right. You've is, got a you've got a runner, also known as our middle school pastor. Um, so, what does for you and your family, and like in in terms of of passing on um, a sense of their identity in in, in Christ, their, their who who God has called them sure. to be, and that that there is that they have purpose in this world beyond just living for themselves. What have been like the rhythms and the practices in your family? Where, where does that played out for you guys? How, how, what does that look like? Well, it's been evolving in a sense. I mean, I started out. Uh, I come from a broken home, so I, w- I wasn't real good on family life. I didn't know what it was, but I was a United States Marine, so I thought militant. Okay, so the whole point got to me. <laughs> so is, it's is a I, place to start. My, sure. o- my oldest kids, I made them memorize a verse a day. My one son could memorize the whole book of Romans, 16 chapters. You'd tell anywhere it was. We were militant about it. Well, that didn't work out well because there wasn't the you relationship. Know, relationship. Yeah. Sure. And because of that, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I hurt my older kids. And, you know, when I was saying about sanctification, I wasn't joking because I had to learn things, you know. Mm-hmm. And so as we got more and more, I mean, one thing I've been pretty militant about is devotions. You know, because at the end of the day, I have a moral obligation before God to be the leader of my family. And I believe with all my heart that I tried as much as I can on a regular basis to pour the word of God in them. And I try to sit there to help them understand what it looks like. Matter of fact, it drives them crazy almost just because, but you know, the beautiful thing about it is they get older. I'm proud of every one of them because I, I see, you know, they're not all perfect. And I got a couple that are wobbling pretty bad, but you know, at the end of the day, I've seen the fruit of that and how God's taken that stuff. And now they can approach the times and they understand a lot, you know, and they're not deceived as much and they don't go along with certain cultural fads. Matter of fact, they stand against it, you know? And so uh, th- those are a couple of the one, two punches. We memorize the word of God. We put a lot of in this. And the second thing got to be in, uh, as we just turn around and we're militant about devotions and, and try, how does that play out? You know, we tried to do that Deuteronomy six, you know, it's like, listen, here's why, here's the whys of it, you know? Yeah. Right. I think um, you, you do um, say this really well, that it, we have to have, there can be rules, but it has to have relationship with sure. it. And I think that's a big um, tie to this whole thing for parents is that we can um, live it out and we can have all these rules, but we have to do it in our own life too. So when you just said that, I, I want to say, you're not just telling your kids to do devotions. You're not just telling your kids to memorize the scripture. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He's yeah. He's been here with his Bible and he yeah, knows exactly where he's going. If you've heard the, large, the heavy thump on the table while we've been recording that's that's jim's bible that is that is marked up more than my my daughter's room wall from the crayon that she put on it like it's uh it's a thing but that's but that's but that's, that's modeling that's and that's modeling, that's right. what i think that we have to have in our home and i think that's where it ties to that that leadership that leadership mentality of the home and that embassy idea that there's a leader we're, we're coming together we're we're going forward together as a family but leading with Christ forward Christ centered yep. forward into this culture that we're safe here you come home you're safe you can share your concerns you can even ask the questions and yep. i think that's where yep. um we have to be the, this for our kids as parents we have to let them ask the questions yep. cuz they're gonna they need to answer right. those things. Well, and either we answer it or someone else does. Well, and that's true. And I think the other thing I just encourage anyone listening right now is I'm just telling you right now, uh, one of the things I did that I didn't think worked at all is I, 
when I made it wrong, I tried to make it right. And sometimes mm-hmm. that was multiple times a day. And I had my daughter come to me years later and said, Dad, the way you modeled trying to yep. brokenness and trying to yep. do the right thing, she said, I hope I'm like that with my kids. And I started weeping because I thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I blew it. You yeah, know? you thought I'd been striking out for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's just being real. You know, It's just being real, living a genuine broken life before others, and knowing that there's a God up in heaven who can meet every inadequacy, mm. who can give you wisdom along the way, who can help you every deficiency you have, and that you can have a confidence that he has a heart for your home more than you do, and that if you want to invite him to be a part of the equation, that he can come in there and bring life and life to the full, and you as a family can thrive like never before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right well we're we're almost at the end of our time and i gotta say that just man <laughs> talk <to> about <laughs> landing the plane good golly for this whole series and in, in yeah. reality of yeah and so yeah. first and foremost jim we want to we want to say we we so appreciate just the the gospel centered love that you have for a group of people and for really for all people um, the ministry you're doing is, uh, well, it's making an impact. And we, we just, as all of our prayer is, is that our whatever our efforts are, that they are multiplied multiple times over by what, what God does and who, and who he is. And well, I just want you guys to know as a church body, we had some guests here last Sunday. And I had one of those guests said that I talked to my wife and we want to come back because what we experienced at Wakarusha Missionary Church oh. was a warm love and a willingness mm-hmm. for a congregation to reach out to people, to love on them, and to deal with the heart issues. So just know that you guys are having an impact just by one simple exposure of some guests that came last Sunday. So Lord bless you all. And I read the last chapter, we win. We uh, mm-hmm. amen, <laughs> amen and amen. Uh, friends, as always, we just want to say thanks for tuning in. We uh, this is though this is episode number nine, and we are coming to the the end of this section of our at home. Oh, there's much to come. There's Joel. so much to come, and so please stay tuned. Stick stick with us. Uh, we'll be releasing uh, some some holiday episodes. Dare I yes. say? And, and some um, special guest episodes. Oh, special guest episodes. We're just gonna keep you in suspense. That's what we're gonna what yes. we're gonna do. So hang on tight. Uh, guys, as always, we just appreciate if, uh, when this stuff comes out to you, feel free, share, like, subscribe, do all this, do all the good stuff. You can always find us over at walkemc.org. Uh, it's a good way to get in touch with us. Uh, we will also have, as we do, we'll have all of Jim's contact info and all of his good stuff. If you ever want to know more about him or reach out, he'll, we'll make him embarrassingly easy to find. So, uh, that's, (laughs) that's our goal. Uh, so as for, for me and Angie, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Jim, thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. And uh, until next time, guys, grace and peace to each of you. Thanks. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C dot org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.